0: So now I feel like I need to apologize to the two and three year olds for being stuck in here with me this morning. Thought Curtis was one of my close friends, but uh, maybe not. So actually, that's like I relate to that age group better than any other age group. So perhaps it'll work out pretty well. Someone will actually I'll be speaking on their level instead of some other level this morning. It's great to be here this morning. I want to look forward a little bit to next week. Um, I think most of you know, but probably not all of you know, that next week we're going to have a special contribution. It will be in addition to our regular contribution, and that will be to provide funds for the relief efforts in South Texas. Um, The funds that we raise will probably split them between a couple of different groups, between the Churches of Christ Disaster Relief um, Incorporated, uh, they're already there working, they're handing out food, they're evaluating things, and then also the Impact Church of Christ, the church that we go down annually with our youth group for mission trip. They're, they're in inner city Houston, they're in a position to really be able to help out people, and they're helping out people that a lot of us know who've been on those trips, those families, those kids. So we want to help provide funds for both of those groups. So if you'll be prayerfully considering what you'll be able to contribute to those efforts next week, um, we'd really appreciate that. If you can't be here next week... Um, You can mail it to the office or drop it by the office. We probably won't send the funds for another week or two until we have everything collected. But please prayerfully consider how you can generously provide for those efforts as people will be there handing out food and water and helping people who are in need in the name of Christ. And that's an important thing for us to do. Second thing related to that is, um, I sent out an email earlier this week, we're exploring a trip, taking a group down uh, to South Texas, the Houston area most likely, uh, to help do some work to actually provide hands and feet and backs and arms and all of those kind of things that are going to need to be put in place to help people restore their lives back to normal. We don't know exactly the timing yet. Um, There's still a lot of evaluation going on, a lot of unknowns, but we do plan on taking that trip. Um, If you would like to be a part of that, if you have some interest in that, if you haven't let us know, if you just call the office and say, yeah, I have an interest, please keep me updated. We'll continue to give you more information about that as we kind of firm up the plans about how long we'll be there, when we will go, the kind of work we'll be doing, and those kind of things. So please... Uh, keep that in mind and, and pray about that as well. And continue to pray for the people who are affected by Hurricane Harvey. It's hard for us to imagine what they're going through. 50 inches of rain for those of us who live in Albuquerque is really hard to imagine, isn't it? That's like 10 years worth for us or well, probably five years worth for us, but within just a few days. And so the devastation is Uh, just dramatic and the things that people are going through. So continue to pray for those people. Also, this week starts a new quarter of Bible classes. Um, On the front of the bulletin, you'll see the list of the adult classes that are starting this week. And we really hope that all of you will stay after worship service and attend one of those Bible classes. We don't have Bible classes just because it's something that we traditionally do. We have Bible classes because we believe in the power of God's word. We believe that it's important for every one of us to spend time in God's word, learning about God and learning about his will for us. And one of the most effective ways we have of doing that is to come together with a teacher and have discussion and dig deep into God's word. So we hope that you'll be a part of that. Because we are people who believe in the power of God's word. And that's why we have our Bible reading challenge. I want to give you an update on that. Project 9K update. To date, as a congregation, we have read 3,434 books of the Bible collectively. So continue to read. Continue to dig into God's word. Continue to report those results. And we'll continue to update you as we go along. Um, soon we'll be sending out a Sprint to the Finish email. So I know a lot of us maybe started strong with this Bible reading challenge, and we've kind of like lost steam. We're going to try to pick up the pace, try to finish strong, and so I'll be sending out some information about that soon, about how if you have kind of fallen off the pace, how you can get back on the train and get moving again in God's Word. I also want you to know this about this church, Netherwood Park, is we are a church that believes that prayer is powerful and prayer is effective. We are a praying church. We pray for people who are part of this congregation. We pray for friends of people of this congregation. We pray for things that are going on in our world. We are a praying church. And we would love to pray for you. If you have a prayer request, if there's something going on in your life or in the life of someone you know and love that you would like to bring to the attention of this church so we can pray for you or pray for them, We'd like for you to reach in front of you and pull out a green prayer request card. Those are our communication cards. If you'll fill out your prayer request on that card, and then if you'll drop it in one of our collection boxes, we will honor your prayer request. We'll send out that request to some 400 email addresses, people who are waiting to pray for you, and we'll honor your request. You can find those collection boxes. There are two at the back of the auditorium, and there's a third one through these double doors. Something else we want you to know about us, we are a baptizing church. We believe in believers' baptism. We believe in baptism by immersion in water. We believe that God works powerfully through baptism. We believe that it's in baptism that we join in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe it's in baptism we we leave behind the old self and put on the new self. We become clothed with Christ. So if you are here and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Savior, and you haven't been baptized, we'd really love to talk to you about that. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have. We'd love to talk to you about the the beauty and the power in baptism. And to have that conversation, we need to know that you would like to have that conversation. So if you'd use that same green communication card, if you turn it over, you'll see it says Next Steps. If you'd fill out your contact information... Check the box that says, I'd like to speak to an elder or a minister about baptism. Drop that in one of those boxes. We'll contact you right away, and we'll have that conversation. And the final thing I want you to know about Netherwood Park is we are people who very strongly believe in the power of God's church. The power of God's church universal and the power of God's church local. And because we believe that we are much stronger together than we can ever be individually, we believe that every Christian should be a member, a, a part of a local congregation. So if you are a Christian and you are not a member of a congregation, we want to encourage you to become a member of a congregation. Obviously, we're biased. We think you should be a member of this congregation and if you would like to have a conversation about being a member of the Netherwood Park Church of Christ, you use that same green communication card. Fill out your information. Check the box that says, I'd like to have a conversation. I'd like to talk to an elder or a minister about being a part of Netherwood Park. And we'll contact you right away, and we'll have that conversation. So I not you consider doing that. Request prayers for needs in your life. Have a conversation about being baptized if you have not been baptized. And become a member of this church if you are not yet a member. Please consider doing that. Well, we're here today, the first week in September. We're three weeks into a short series of sermons. And this series of sermons is meant to refocus us, refocus us on our 2017 theme. And that theme is living the word in the world. In fact, our theme is a summary of what James wrote in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Where James said, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. And this focus on doing isn't something that's unique to James. No, you see throughout the Bible, from Abraham to Moses, from Isaiah to Malachi, from Jesus to Paul, God sends his people a consistent message. God says, walking with me isn't just about knowing about me. And it isn't just believing in me. No, walking with me is doing. It's about living the word in the world. So in this series, we've been using an analogy, the same analogy that Paul used, an analogy between following Christ and running a race. Specifically, we have been using images from the 2017 World Track and Field Championships in London, a a track meet that Kathy and I were fortunate enough to be able to attend and we've been using those images to help us understand what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus Christ to run the race that God has put before us. In the first week, we started out by focusing on the 100-meter dash. And we learned that just like a contestant in a track race, we're called to actually run the race. Not be frozen in the blocks, but actually Run the race. Not just know how to run. Not just spend all of our time preparing to run. But to put our knowledge and our preparation into practice by actually doing. By running the race that's put before us. Living the word in the world. Then last week we turned our attention to the 3,000 meter steeplechase. And we reminded ourselves, just like the steeplechase, our race as Christ followers is going to have hurdles. There are going to be hurdles in front of us. And we said that perhaps there's no hurdle that's any greater for us as we run our race as Christians. There's no greater hurdle than the command to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. See, just like runners in this race... We don't get to choose our hurdles. We don't get to choose who to love. Now, to run the race that God has put before us, we must love the people God has put before us. So these track races have proved to be a useful analogy for the Christian race, the race we're running. But like all analogies, this comparison isn't perfect Like most analogies, this analogy eventually breaks down. And today we're going to see something interesting about this analogy. We're going to see that this race-running analogy remains useful even after it breaks down. See, today we're going to talk about how our walk with Christ is very different than a track race. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we want to be people who don't just know the word, but live the word. Father, we want to be people who don't just know about you, but, Father, live out the life you have called us to and the world that's around us. Father, we come together to worship you, and we come together to be re-energized. We come together, Father, to spur each other on. Father, help us to take that energy and, Father, to take that encouragement out of these walls into the world around us, around us and actually run the race. And, Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I love track and field. I love to watch it. I love to participate in it. And one of the things I love about track and field is that there aren't any real excuses. It's kind of pure competition. The first person across the line wins. The person who jumps the highest or jumps the farthest wins. The person who throws the farthest, they win. And I I love that competition and the emotion that comes along with it. I love to watch how much effort people will expend to finish first. And I especially love the celebrations. To see the raw emotion in the celebration of someone who won the big race. And one of the things that makes that celebration so powerful is that along with the celebration comes heartbreak. You also see the heartbreak of that person who came so close... So close, but didn't quite get there. We were in London. The Brits have a phrase for that. They call the person who almost gets there but doesn't quite win, they call that person the fastest loser. (laughs) Which is kind of harsh, isn't it? It's like, it's the fastest loser. Well, you know, it's like second place isn't good enough. You're the fastest loser. The fastest loser, almost but not quite fast but not fast enough and it's so long in there that our analogy begins to break down see in the Christian race there aren't any fastest losers our race isn't a winner take all competition our goal isn't to get to the finish line first our goal is to get there and to take as many other people with us as we possibly can. And unlike that 100-meter dash and the 3,000-meter steeplechase, our foe isn't the other runners in the race. In fact, the other runners should be our allies. The other runners should be our support. The other runners should be our encouragement. The other runners should be celebrating with us in our shared victories. The picture that I have up on the screen right now is a picture after the men's decathlon. And the decathlon is really a unique event. It's 10 events spread over five days, and it's really more of an endurance contest. And one of the unique things about the decathlon is that the competition really isn't between the people who are in the race. The competition is with the clock or the tape measure. And when the competition finishes... It's a group celebration. It's a survival celebration. So this competition is much closer to what our race is like. We're in it together. We're working to finish together. We're looking forward to celebrating together. And that's the way it should be. Which is why it's so heartbreaking to see Christians when they fight and when they quarrel. It's why it's so heartbreaking to see Christians competing as if we're engaged in a winner-take-all race. That's why it's so discouraging when followers of Christ act as if the enemy is other Christians. Other Christians who are running the same race, the race that God has put before us. And that's where James turns his attention in chapter 4. Let's listen to James as he describes how Christians can end up running the wrong kind of race. James chapter 4 verse 1. James starts out with a rhetorical question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. But God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. James doesn't paint a very pretty picture, does he? James is writing this in response to the Christian race gone amok. Fighting and quarreling among brothers and sisters. Anger directed to brothers and sisters. Not wanting what's best for brothers and sisters. Instead, wanting harm to come to brothers and sisters. Instead of being happy over what other people possess, wanting to take their possessions. Instead of asking God for things that will bless brothers and sisters, asking God only for things that will bring personal pleasure to me. It's a picture of each man and each woman for themselves. It's a picture of winner takes all. It's a picture of fighting and scratching and clawing to get your way, to get to the top, to avoid being the fastest loser. And as I read this passage, my first reaction is to thank God. Thank God that that doesn't describe Netherwood Park. To thank God that we aren't a church that's marked by quarreling and fighting and anger and selfishness and greed. We should all thank God for that. But I have to be honest, my second reaction is fear. And I'm not a fearful person, but my second reaction is fear. What makes me afraid? Well, I'm afraid because I have seen how quickly churches and Christians can begin to run amok. Many of you are probably like me. You've seen once wonderful, beautiful, strong congregations destroyed. Destroyed by quarreling and fighting and anger and selfishness and greed. And I've seen beautiful Christian relationships torn apart with quarreling and fighting and anger and selfishness and greed. And I've seen our Christian witness to the world severely compromised by quarreling and fighting and anger and selfishness and greed. So what makes me afraid? Well, we'd have to be naive to think that this is impossible to happen to us. So I read James chapter 4 as a cautionary tale. I read it as a warning. I read it as James telling us that if we don't run the race that God has put before us, if we don't run the race that God has put before us in the way that he would have us run it, then this can happen to us. So we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to the warning signs. And understand that we will run amok if we allow ourselves to forget who the real enemy is. And brothers and sisters, the real enemy is Satan. And we need to understand that if Satan can get us to start resisting each other instead of resisting him, if Satan can get us to start fighting with each other instead of fighting against him, then we've already lost the race. He's already won. We have lost the race. We also need to understand that we're going to run amok if we forget who makes this victory possible. We cannot and we will not win this race if we rely on our own powers. It's God who gives the victory. It's God who has overcome Satan. It's God who will carry us to the finish. We need to understand That we'll run amok if we forget who is in charge of this race. If we insist on having our way, if we insist on doing things our way, if we insist on being in control, the race is already lost. And finally, James warns us that we're going to run amok and into quarreling and fighting and anger and selfishness and greed if we choose choose to chase the wrong prize. The people that James is talking about, they chose to chase the wrong prize. And if we're like them, if we choose to chase after power and position, if we choose to run after fame and fortune... If we choose to pursue status and prestige instead of righteousness, instead of holiness, then the race is already lost. We're called to run this different race very differently. Not as winner take all. Not with every person for themselves. Not clawing and scratching and fighting our way to the finish line. In fact, James tells us our different race starts something like this. It's on your marks, set, but then it's submit. It's not on your marks, set, go, or on your marks, set, fight, or on your marks, set, quarrel, or on your marks, set, scratch. It's on your marks, set, submit. Submit. See, this race isn't one by grabbing what we want. It's one by submitting to what God wants. This race isn't one by grabbing control. This race is one by submitting to His control. This race isn't one by taking the lead. This race is one by submitting to being led. In this race, we gain victory not by quarreling and fighting, but by making peace. We reach our goal not through selfishness and greed, but through love and mercy. We win this race by running Jesus' way. Jesus, who, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, That's running the race the Jesus way. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus submitted himself to God's will and God's power and God's authority. And so we read in verse 9. And so God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's running the Jesus way. That's running this different race differently. It's on your marks. Set. Submit. And submission doesn't happen accidentally. I think most of you are like me. You know from experience that submission doesn't happen accidentally. We don't stumble our way into submission, we won't arrive at submission naturally. That won't happen because humility and submission, those aren't the human way. No, arrogance and rebellion, that's the human way. Humility and submission, that's the Jesus way. So, if it's going to happen, if we're going to submit, we're going to have to commit to submit. It's going to be intentional, it's going to take effort. It has to be a conscious decision. It's going to be an ongoing battle to humble ourselves and submit to our God and run the race he's put before us in the way he intends. Run it the Jesus way. So I want to wrap up this morning by giving you three ways that you can commit to submit. Three ways that you can run the race the Jesus way. And the first thing I want to suggest has to do with enemies. You see, we commit to submit by choosing to fight the real enemy. God's people don't fight each other. We submit by standing our ground against the real enemy. And James tells us, fights and quarreling stop. Fights and quarreling end when we focus on the real enemy, our common enemy. See, when we engage in spiritual warfare with Satan, we have no use, we have no time for family warfare. And I want you to know, you may not feel it, you may not really believe it, but spiritual warfare is a constant presence in each and every one of our lives. We're constantly at war. Here in James chapter 4, James is writing to people who are involved in spiritual warfare and they're losing the battle. You see, at its very essence, spiritual warfare is a battle. It's a battle between self denying love for my neighbors and self centered desire for myself. And self-denying love, that's the Jesus way. And running the race according to my self-centered desires, that's Satan's way. So let me suggest this. Every time you choose to help your wife do the dishes, instead of plopping down in the recliner to watch the football game, you have engaged in spiritual warfare. And love won. Every time you choose to sit with one of the unpopular kids at lunch, instead of joining with the popular kids who are making fun of the unpopular kids, you have engaged in spiritual warfare and love one. And every time you choose to give up vacation time to go to a week at church camp or go on a mission trip or go to South Texas to help bring relief, you have engaged in spiritual warfare And love won. Every time you choose to give up buying something that you desire and instead you put your money towards helping others who are in need, you have engaged in spiritual warfare. And love won. See, that's committing to submitting by choosing to fight the real enemy. So love will win. Well, second thing I'm going to suggest is that we commit to submit by making God our constant companion. Not our companion a couple of hours a Sunday, but our constant companion. James tells us, draw near to God and he will come near to you. And we don't accidentally stumble into a closer relationship with God. No, we commit to a closer relationship with God. Shameless plug. Craig Hayes and I are teaching a class this quarter on spiritual disciplines. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. They're commitments that we make to draw closer to God. Through things like prayer and fasting. Through things like study and meditation. Through worship and celebration. But it doesn't just... Happen. And if we commit to this closer relationship with God and we do the things that are required to come closer to God, we'll see that we know much more clearly how we should run the race that He's put before us. See, when we come close to God and as God draws near to us, everything takes on a different perspective, everything looks different. And as we draw near to God, we begin to ask questions like this If I get what I desire, will that bring glory to God? If what I'm praying for actually comes about, will that bring honor to God? If I get my way, will that expand His kingdom? We'll ask ourselves questions like, are there quarrels and fights that I'm engaged in that I want to win so badly that I'm willing to lose intimacy with my God? See, when God is our constant companion, I I almost made it, but I just couldn't any longer. Let me. Why don't you come down here, buddy? Let's go down here. See, twos and threes, that's my group. So I heard. He's practicing to take my place. <laughs> Not a bad idea. So we ask ourselves questions like this. Are there quarrels and fights that I'm engaged in, that I'm involved in, that are going on in my life that I want to win so badly? So badly that I'm willing to lose intimacy with God. See, when God is our constant companion, we begin to see that there's no fight. There's no quarrel. There's no race that's worth winning if it causes me to lose intimacy with my God. So we commit to submit by making God our constant companion. And finally, we commit to submit by cleansing our hearts. I feel like I should give you fair warning about intimacy with God. If you stand near to God... If you draw close to God, if you make God your constant companion, your true heart will be exposed. It will happen. And I'm also here to tell you from very personal and painful experience that that kind of exposure, having your true heart exposed before God, is something that isn't pleasant. See, if you're like me, you'll find out that your heart is much darker than you ever cared to admit. If you're like me, you'll find out that you're more self absorbed than you ever cared to acknowledge. If you're like me, you'll find out that you like having control much more than you ever wanted to concede. God will expose your true heart. Drawing near to God will expose your true heart. And that's useful. And God wants that to happen, but God isn't just after exposure of what's in our hearts, those things that make us quarrel, that make us fight. He doesn't want us to just regret all of those things that make us quarrel and fight. In fact, it isn't enough to just regret the things that make us fight. Our anger, our selfishness, our greed. No, when those things are exposed, when we regret those things, then those things must be removed. We must cleanse our hearts. We must purify our hearts. Or better put, we must have our hearts cleansed. And that brings us to the good news of Jesus Christ. See, we can't cleanse our hearts on our own, but Jesus can. And Jesus will if we'll run the race His way. He'll cleanse our hearts if we will humble ourselves, if we will submit ourselves to our God. If we'll do that, this is good news. As James says, God gives grace to the humble. God gives strength to the humble. God gives power to the humble. God takes the humble to the finish line. God gives grace to those who submit to running the race the Jesus way. Let's pray. Father, we run so many races Father, oftentimes we don't even know where we're going. Father, we're often like the man who says, I don't know where I am, but I'm making good time. And Father, we don't want to just make good time. Father, we want to run the race the way that Jesus ran the race. So Father, expose our true hearts. Help us to see ourselves for who we really are. And Father, help us come near to you and near to your Son, Jesus Christ, so our hearts may be cleansed. Father, help us to humble ourselves and submit to you. Father, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you love to win? Isn't victory sweet? Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus and only Jesus offers real victory. So humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. On your marks, set, submit. Let's stand. Let's sing. Sing.